Welcome to the Pirate Monk Podcast. In our brand new format, some of you who are lucky are actually seeing, well, are they lucky or unlucky, Aaron? That's hard to say. Some people are seeing us for the first time. Uh, me with a cluttered background, I'm actually in my wife's office here in uh, Franklin, Tennessee, talking with Aaron. He's in the bowels of the building at his home out on the West Coast. <laughs> And I see that our new, we have a new sponsor, Starbucks Coffee there. Okay. I yeah, hope I'll, we're getting I'll, kickbacks for that sign behind you. <laughs> <laughs> at, least, at least some free coffee. Something's got to happen. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and we have promised this before. This kind of reminds me of my, uh, my days battling addiction before recovery. I'm always making promises to reform. We've promised before to become more consistent in the recording and posting of podcast uh, episodes. Are, are, what are we doing? Are we rededicating our rededications here, Aaron? Uh, you know, nobody's paying me to do this, so I feel no guilt, so I don't have to make promises to anybody, <laughs> and I don't feel bad when we have gaps. <laughs> so, nope, I'm not rededicating anything, All except right. I am looking forward to some guests that we already have lined up. Yeah. So, it's... Uh, I can say that there will be more episodes in the near future because there are people planning on showing up at this time to chat with you. And and that is thanks to you. Thank you for stepping up and doing that booking, Aaron. That's awesome. That's fun. And today we get to talk with one of our old friends. So this was, this was great. I, I looked back at the last time he was on the show. I can't remember what year it was. I want to say it was, 2008 nine somewhere in there and it was when you were here it was in san lewis at my office uh at first baptist church in san lewis wow uh, was it really you him dave mullen and scott bosborough wow that was the last time he was on the show wow so most of our listeners have no idea what i'm talking about and this will be an introduction to our friend ken chester yeah yeah so how's life aaron it's good. This morning, yeah. uh, I'm I'm waking up with a a little emotional hangover. We've been doing a series at church about living in two kingdoms. That mm-hmm. we are citizens of heaven. We're citizens of America because it's just such a mess in conversations these days. People are so heightened in their emotions, and they're all angry and outraged and stuff. So we've just been going through scripture, looking at people like Daniel, uh, who had to live in two kingdoms under the authority of uh, Nebuchadnezzar and Darius and Cyrus, but also as a citizen of God's kingdom. And how did he navigate that? We've looked at uh, Jonah and Samson, two guys who had to, as God's people, leave and go into other kingdoms. Samson, who overloved the other kingdom and... <laughs> And Jonah, who overhated the other kingdom. And there's two sides of the same coin. Samson was supposed to destroy that which he ends up loving. And God was calling Jonah to have mercy and love those people that he wanted destroyed. So it's a perfect, like, two weeks of, man, we're messed up as people. But this last week, oh, we also did Naaman. (laughs) Uh, For those of you that don't know, Naaman is the commander of the Syrian army. Uh, beloved of the king, and he comes to Elisha, he has leprosy, he gets healed. That's usually the end of the story. But there's just as many verses after that where he comes and says, uh, can God forgive me? Because I'm going to go home 
into the pagan uh, temple with my master and bow down before the false idol. Mm. He doesn't say, can I? He's not asking for permission. He just says, I'm going to do it. Will God forgive me? And Elisha says, shalom, go with God's peace. Wow. That's kind of an important passage when there are other ones that say, you shall not bow before any other God. But he had come to a place where that wasn't another God. This was his king. This was his duty, his job. So we've been trying to unpack the complexity of living in two kingdoms. And last week I was talking about Jesus, the ultimate, you know, he's living in three kingdoms. He's a Jew living in a Roman world and representing his father's kingdom. And so I, I had all kinds of just wise things to say and <laughs> And then yesterday I'm trying to finish an album right now. And so I sat down with a friend who's, who's just incredibly talented and we were listening through mixes. And after that, we end up in this very heated conversation in a public place about a very controversial uh, topic. And first, I did not employ tons of the stuff I told everybody to employ on Sunday. Yeah. Second, I did employ some of the things, and it didn't work at all. It just fell <laughs> apart. And I walked away from that conversation just going... Number one, I have to go back uh, two weeks from now when I'm back at the Templeton site and confess to everybody. So, by the way, still think all that was smart stuff and, and good, but it might not work. So, I have to say that. So I, I just felt like God was giving me a super gracious uh, opportunity once again to go, dude, you can't fix this for anybody. <laughs> this yeah. is between yeah. me and them. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm, I'm still a little emotionally hungover from that disciplining just proves God loves me and I'm his kid. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's fantastic. So how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well, doing well. Um, in, in the middle of a time of tremendous, what would ordinarily be tremendous stress. Anybody who knows me well, uh, but I've walked with closely and had honest conversation with knows that uh, I tend to be fear-driven a lot. I now recognize that fear drove so much of my acting out during my years of active addiction. Uh, and there's nothing that ramps up the fear for me like financial stress. Uh, when I know, ex when I can look down the road and be certain that I see where the money's coming from, uh, I can be tremendously serene and godly and helpful and all that kind of <laughs> stuff. Uh, but I'm, we're in a season now with the business where, uh, you know, our biggest client disappeared suddenly without any notice. We're scrambling, uh, work is way down, all that kind of stuff. Um, and yet for some reason, and I've, I, I, really it's not that mysterious. I know it's because uh, I'm locked on mission and I can feel God at work. Uh, been uh, I've slept like a baby these last few weeks hmm. uh, I haven't been living in terror or obsession about money you know those 12 steppers uh, will sometimes in their meetings read the promises they always read the steps occasionally they'll read the promises what will happen if we uh, actually follow this path if we do these things and one of them is that uh, the fear of financial insecurity will leave us. 
and um, I, and See, I'm that's not audacious. That's not audacious promise. That's amazing, oh. <laughs> right? And I'm seeing some of that uh, in my own life. It's it is really surprising. It's astonishing to me that um, I am not being driven to distraction by the fear of financial insecurity. So uh, I'm grateful for that. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, well done for sticking on the path and uh, discovering new things, new areas to grow into. Yeah. <laughs> God's working on us all, evidently. He's so busy and he cares so much. <laughs> all right. Well, hey, let's not waste any more time doing this, uh, Aaron. Um, that's not good. <laughs> Uh, that's yeah. <laughs> well what should we do in what should we do instead of wasting this time uh hearing about each other's lives <laughs> would you like to go to a break and then come back with ken chester would that be yeah, preferable so, we all right that, yes, well then we'll be right back with uh less wasted <laughs> Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast, and uh, we're now to the we're, we're to the fun part of the show now. Up till now, I've, I've been fighting to stay awake, but Ken Chester is here. An old friend from very uh, the earliest days of the Samson Society, joining us from Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, Ken, how are you? Hey, Nate. It's great to hear your voice. Oh. Great to see you, too. <laughs> yeah, some of you, uh, probably most of you are just listening to us on a podcast, but be warned, there will be a video version of this thing available soon, and we actually are now experimenting with video, so I can see Ken's handsome face. And Aaron's face as well, but uh... <laughs> I didn't know I was supposed to wear eyeliner like y'all did. So. Hey, you know what? I'm I'm rebelling against this whole thing. Uh, I'm actually not wearing pants right now. <laughs> I'm not we do that. I was I was so annoyed I had to actually comb my hair to do the podcast that as an act of rebellion I am right now not wearing pants. And I hope all our listeners know I'm not kidding. So Ken, uh, yeah. Oh, Ken, I can't tell you how gr how good it is to see you. Uh, I have really sweet memories of being at your place, uh, hanging out with some of your guys, and uh, uh, take us back, boy. When was that when we connected, Ken? That would have been around two thousand eight, two thousand seven. Yeah, right, two thousand seven, eight. I had yeah. just. Uh, uh, Lee Page, the guy that I was working with at the Priority One Foundation, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the men's ministry I was with, Lee picked up a copy of your book. And uh, he called me up and he said, I know you like book titles, so I haven't read this, but I bought a copy just off of the title alone. And so <laughs> and, and he, he told me over the phone, you know, Samson and the Pirate Monks, I said, bring it. I'll, I'll read it just for the title. I'll give him at least 10 pages. So... Uh, <laughs> And you got me at 20, and, yeah. and, and I remember calling you up, and uh, we just had a connection on the phone talking yeah. about things. And, uh, um, and then you were, you were risking your entire reputation in ministry coming to North Carolina and doing a men's retreat. 
Yeah. And uh, boy, what a weekend that was. uh, It was great. And that, you know, I was there at your house when I got the phone call that my dad had died. I was just thinking that. We were sitting on the porch outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was so glad uh, to be with a brother I know and trust. I wasn't alone. Uh, You were with me in that grief. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Hey, let's bring it back up. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Now, I remember going to a little church when we were there and you're still in Greensboro and what's your church connection these days? Uh, you know, I left priority one in two, um, three, four years ago and mm-hmm. started pastoring a church called, it was then called Sojourn Community Church. Now it's called Grove Community Church. We've since merged with another, another church family here in town in Greensboro and we're called Grove Community Church and um, just a non-denominational Mm-hmm. part of out in the northwest part of greensboro okay so how what what have you learned going into this because i i know you had so many different experiences not not all of them with the endings you thought they would have in church so going into this how's it different than your younger years when you knew you knew everything um well that made me flash back to an afternoon i had with j.i packer before any of all this stuff happened, I was his, I was his uh, uh, chauffeur around Washington, D.C., but a long time ago. Mm. And I remember, I, you know, you're sitting uh, all day with this guy, and, and I went, I'm dying to ask him the question, you know, how do you know if you're supposed to go into ministry, Dr. Packer? And yeah. I'm, waiting for, I'm waiting for some deep theological answer. And he looks at me, and he says with these squinty eyes, uh, uh, he says, if you can do anything else, do it. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And and that was his deep wisdom. And I, and I guess it's pastoral ministry has always been hard with me. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, Carolyn, Carolyn says, I'm a great first date. (laughs) 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 And uh, they, she says, Hey, they love you. But after the year wears off, they realize, is that it? Um, so, uh, I'm, we're four years into this property, I think, uh, ministry wise. And, uh, and I'd say, uh, we're, it's been a tough go because ministry settles in, you know, it's, uh, uh, I told them coming into it, look, I have four great sermons a year. The rest of the time I'll try to hit singles, but I get about four good ones a year. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think it's about average. Um, yeah. That may be it. I said, <laughs> so, um, but I'm enjoying it. It's stretchy. It, you know, it brings you to places of just being broken that you'd never imagine. You get frustrated. You can't believe you measure, uh, performance by the number of people that come or how well you preach, um, what the schedule looks like during the week, how dry it can be at times. And sometimes you just realize all that God's looking for is you to bring just, what we're going to talk about in the meals, he's just asking you to bring who you are every day to him and say, here. So you experimented before you came to this church while you were at Priority One. You experimented with a lot of uh, different ways of connecting with men and seeing men grow in their relationship with Christ. So walk us through some of that. Yeah, I, uh, when I came to Christ, I was fortunate enough. For me personally, Christ became 
sort of the, the family I never grew up with. And, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of tension in our family growing up, never a close family, I'd say. Um, and so coming to Christ was meeting this family, particularly meeting brothers in Christ. And so I guess men's ministry by its, um, attraction, direction, calling has been, I've been a part of that for a lot of years. Um, you know, immediately I always put with another guy to walk with his brother. And that was back in 79. And, and that group still meets today here in Greensboro, as a matter of fact. Um, and I've moved away several times with ministry and come back to Greensboro. We came back in 2005 and I came back to that same group that uh, we started back in 1979. And this is where things began to just change, take a shift was that our group was just flat. You know, they've been meeting every week, talking about the same things. And the tendencies of most of us in men's groups, after you get over the initial stories, is, you know, we're good at, uh, we're not so good at listening. We're good at uh, sharing how to fix somebody, mm-hmm. fix the problem, move on, pray, meet again later, see you next week, fix the problem. Uh, and we just, another, another brother and myself, Bob Steck, we just began longing for something deeper. Um, love these guys to death. We just were missing something and we weren't sure what that was. And I had a, a friend uh, that's had a great impact in my life named Bert Sorensen, who used to have these, uh, they called them executive dinners up in New York City. And they would invite 500 to 900 people to these exquisite dinners and they would present the gospel. And there was no, and it was no cost. Mm-hmm. And he just gave me a, a taste of what that looked like he, he, to give the gospel away, but more importantly, the, the table. He wanted, to, he wanted to meet men and women around Wall Street, and he knew that that was important, that they were in surroundings where they were comfortable. So he would provide this exquisite meal, he and his wife, and they would hear the gospel. And so we, Bob and I were just talking. We said, what if we, what if we had this meal with the guys? And Bob loved to cook. And so we had this meal and we called it a res meal short for resurrection because we were reading some works by Eugene Peterson at the time. And, and Bob just makes this incredible meal, you know, cowboy ribeyes, marinated perfection, the vegetables pulled out all the fine China, went out and bought incredible wines. Mm-hmm. And the guys came over for dinner and we talked more into the night, three or four hours we talked. We talked more in that night than we had in years. Mm-hmm. And we said, let's do this again. And the guy said, yeah, let's do this again. So we did it the next month. And the same thing happened. We, Bob, he spent days getting the meal together. And, and uh, I was the, uh, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't given sous chef qualities. I was just the go get person. <laughs> he was a busboy. <laughs> That was yeah. So uh, um, after the second meal, we did a this was we did a third meal, and one of the guys said, "Are we going to do another one of those meals?" He said, "Not, you know, I'm just tired. I'm not going to come tonight." You know, we kind of looked at each other and went, "Well, let's invite somebody." So we invited. We just invited another guy on, another guy that I knew, and said, "Hey, we're having this meal tonight. Do you want to come?" And he said, "To your group?" And I said, "Yeah, we're going to." Just, you know, we have, just bring who you are. We have two simple rules. You, uh, you, what you set around the table stays around the table. And number two, no man is allowed to fix another man at the table. 
Mm. The, the real gift we give to each other is to listen. Mm-hmm. And, and in listening, you're caring what this, the man, this brother is sharing with you. You get the gift of caring what he's going to share. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to pause at this part of the story. We're going to come back to it. Okay. But before we get into more details of that, let's, let's touch on, uh, you were the one that gave me, you turned me on to A Meal with Jesus, right? The Tim Chester book? Yeah, Tim Chester. Yeah, it was no always, relations. Yeah, it was always confusing. I'm like, it, it can't be Chester. I know Ken Chester gave it to me. Who was? Yeah, so Tim Chester. Uh, what a Actually, great. you have my copy. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know that's not true because mine's a Kindle copy. Uh, <laughs> well, I tried to get away with that. Uh-huh. So it's, it's a book about uh, mostly going through Luke, if I remember right. Yeah. Uh, Jesus going and having meals with people. His basic supposition is the book of Luke is mostly Jesus going to at or coming from a meal, just all these narratives. Yeah. He's using, you know, he's just using that's the table where fellowship really happens in the, you know, in the Hebrew culture around the table. And that's you honored your, anyone that was invited was an honored guest. So, Mm -hmm. um, but it's something other cultures, I mean, this is something that transcends culture, transcends time that, yeah. Sharing meals with people was significant. Uh, in the in ancient times, if someone was at your table, that meant significant relational things, right? You you now you were part of the you were part of the family. Part of the family. I have to protect you. I have all that kind of stuff. So anything that transcends time and culture seems like it's a significant part of how God wired us as humans. Yes. And so that's where I loved when you started talking about the res meal years ago. I'm just like, ah, this is so beautiful. So tell me a little bit more just on the philosophical end before we get into the specifics of the res meal, what you've discovered about the importance of being purposeful in meals. Well, the res meal grew out of, you know, the background of it that we always explain. It grew out of March 6th, the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, Jesus with his disciples, he sees everybody, and, you know, the passage says, he looks at them, they look like sheep without a shepherd. He turns to the disciples. The disciples first say, send them away. And Jesus says, you feed them. And that's, uh, that's when Jesus says, they, they, give that, they give that great answer. Well, are we going to spend a year's wages feeding these people one meal? And he says, well, what do you have? And they go, we've got five loaves and two fishes. And that was, so we're very deliberate about this. We say, that's the only thing you can bring to the table. First is, is just what you have. No, no more, nothing left, no stories. It's not a testimony time. It's just what you bringing to the table today, tonight. And that's the first part of it. And then the, and we explain this out when we invite somebody, we say, we're, we're, we invited a, a group of six men each year to commit a year to dinner each month. And we made sure at the front end, we're asking you to commit a year and not everybody may make it, but you're going to make every intention to be here every month. And people have really, uh, the guys have really honored that. Uh, just with our schedules, sometimes one or two couldn't be there, but for most part, we've had full tables of guys who, made this a priority. I'm going to be at this dinner. And especially as it grows, they go, I'm not going to miss it. Um, so the first part is you just bring who you are. And secondly, it says that Jesus, this is where Jesus does the most incredible thing. He takes what we bring him 
and he doesn't look at it. You know, you think about what you bring to Jesus every day, and he could say, is this it? Is this all you've got? I, I know I've given you more. And instead, it says Jesus takes what we give him. He took from disciples. He lifted his eyes to the Father. He blessed it. He gave thanks. He, I mean, you think about how little we really give back at times. And Jesus doesn't look at you with condemnation. He doesn't look at you disappointment. He doesn't give you that look that says, I'm disappointed in you. And we are blown away that he just, he lifts what we give him and he gives thanks for it. And, and then it, and then the third part of our, that's the second part. The third part of our dinner is, this is the part that happens at the dinner. Jesus breaks those loaves. And just like he breaks us around that table. He's the only one who has the authority to break us. Whenever we try to do it with each other, with our best of intentions or our spiritual voices or spiritual temperaments, we always make a mess of it. But when Jesus breaks us, he's breaking us in perfect love, in perfect grace. And he's just, no one can, no, no one can resist that because we long for that to happen. Mm-hmm. We're just afraid there's going to be nobody there to pick up the pieces. And um, we're so used to controlling it or patching it ourselves. But he breaks us and it's always in perfect, perfect love. That happens at the table. And then the last part of that is the feeding of the 5,000. It says he multiplies it. And that's what he does in us around the table as we listen, as, we t- as we're laughing around these meals and, and sharing stories and things are coming up. People are sharing. We've, you know, we'll maybe get into that. Everything that we've shared around this table, he multiplies it into us so that we can give to others. He just, and that's the four parts of it. We bring who we are. That's all we bring. He gives thanks. He gives thanks. He gives Eucharist over our life. And that's what we, and, and then thirdly, he breaks it. And that's the core. That may take one meal. And we've had one guy that sat at the table one time for eight months. Everything was fine. Marriage is great. Business is great. Kids are great. Everything was great. And on the eighth month, he broke wide open. His marriage was in shambles. His kids were facing all kinds of struggles and business was overwhelming. It took eight months for him to, to come to that place and let Jesus break him at the table. And, and trust us that we weren't trying to fix it. And, and that happens. Uh, we start every meal. We, every meal starts with communion. And really that's, you know, from fried green tomatoes, the movie, um, the secrets in the sauce. That is the secret. Now I'm giving that away free of charge right now. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be in the book, in the movie series, all that stuff. Uh, well, I, I, I want you to apologize uh, to your congregation, Ken, because they now have to look forward to three bad sermons because you just did your one good sermon right <laughs> So that's kind of rough on them. But our listeners appreciate it. Yeah. Wow. So the, the, the secret's the communion. Yeah. I mean, you, and it's, it's, it's everybody, they come rushing in after work. You think about it, and you're, you're given this piece of bread, and you're said, now, I want, now bring who you are to the table right now mm. with this piece of bread. And it's not just a little, it's not just a little piece of bread. It's actually a, a, a piece of bread you've got to chew because mm-hmm. there's something about the thoughtfulness of, of tasting that bread and chewing mm-hmm. and thinking about what you're bringing, what you're receiving with, the, with that bread, what it represents for the body of Christ. And then we, there's a glass of wine there. And, and and I mean, we, sometimes communion has been the, I mean, it, 
literally, I say this in the mystery of it, the Holy Spirit takes over at that moment. All right, so here's tutorial number one from Ken Chester this morning. We have people listening <laughs> that need to start uh, administering communion, but they're under the the false notion, the saucerdotal notion, that because they are not pastors or priests, they have to wait for somebody else to serve communion at their table. So how do you teach somebody how to, like with their family, they can do it at home with their friends, They've already been authorized by Jesus, so forget everybody else not authorizing you, and Ken's going to teach you how to do it. Go. Gosh, I have finally got the power I've been looking for in my life. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) By Aaron Porter, I've been baptized. (laughs) Um, I would say go to the end of Nate's book and call Nate because I don't um, (laughs) – You can edit that out if you want, but, it, um, you know, we have never had to answer that question, Aaron. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, we, only one time I've, I've had one guy um, from an Anglican communion that felt awkward at the moment. Mm-hmm. And only one time, I mean, after 10 years of meals, we've only had one guy that's questioned what we do around the table. And, um, We've never had to explain it. We just say, we start, we start with communion. And we purposely have, and guys that have never served communion before sometimes lead it. And for the first time, they're going, oh, oh, I don't know what to say. And we say, well, say what it means to you. This is the body and blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. And we get some incredible moments. So wow. we've never, um, I'm sure people listening are, you know, you would have every type of listening. You'd have some that, theologically just would not like that. I understand that. But um, when Jesus served that at the table to the, to the disciples, he, at that moment, they didn't really know what they were doing. He was given this bread. He said, this is my body. They didn't know what that meant. They had no idea what that meant. He said, this blood is the forgiveness of your sins. They didn't know what that meant. Yeah. And then the Holy Spirit took over their lives. And suddenly, you know, as it, it, it as the early church was tradition has it every meal that the believers were together started with communion mm-hmm. because they recognized their identity within Christ, the broken body of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. So I guess we, we were just hung. We were just some men hungering to go closer to Christ. And it has a way of putting everybody's identity at that table together. It's, it's not an evangelistic table. We're not inviting guys that don't know Jesus and mm-hmm. purposely and say, okay, now you got to take communion. It's not used that right. way. We're, we're, um, we've never used it that way. We've invited guys that come from every kind of walk in their life, but we're clear of the fact that you know that if you're coming to, the, to this type of meal, um, this is about your life being real with Jesus. So practically somebody takes a loaf of bread, and a cup of wine and just mm-hmm. says, we're remembering. Remember, and this is the body of Christ. This is the blood of Christ, the body of Christ that was broken for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't always invoke those words that, you know, we will, uh, we're talking about what does this mean? Yeah. At the, you know, for a guy walking, we've had guys come to the table. Uh, as we start a meal, and one of our dear brother, he just found out, he had just found out like the week previously or in a period of time, he just found out that his 
his daughter had given birth to their first grandchild. And they didn't even know she was pregnant. Mm-hmm. And here he is at the table taking communion. Mm-hmm. And, he's, and you can imagine he's filled with all kinds of rage and anger and, and confusion and just the, the, the mystery of it all. And here he's holding this bread and it's the body of Christ to him. Mm-hmm. And the blood is the, is the forgiveness of his sins, not his daughter's, his. Mm-hmm. And he's got this incredible grandson now that's going to be in his life. And we've, we've had guys walk in. That, we had one guy walk in that, that just retired after 43 years of business. And the very first act that he did after leaving the company, he comes to this table and he's taking communion. That's his first act of his, quote, retired life. Mm-hmm. And so we've, um, I, I'm trying to, there's a pause there because I'm thinking, I know you're asking me to explain how do we get over the, I don't know if you're asking me if we get the hurdle, we get over communion. We've just never had anybody ask that question. Yeah. You know, can, is this authorized? How can we do it? We just said, just said, you know, the early church communion was an issue of office or it was recognized that we're, we're all believers in Jesus Christ. This is the body and bread of Christ, body and blood of Christ. This is what the fellowship was consumed, was filled consumed with that they recognize this. So as tradition has taken us, we've you know broken that down some. So. I, I don't want to pick on high church cause that's, awesome and there's awesome things there but sure the the elements are simple and common and the command is simply to remember remember that's it and so we we start each meal saying we and that's a good point you know you do these things for so long you forget some of the little things but we normally start someone says remember we're meeting around jesus christ tonight this is his body his blood that we're that we're remembering and we usually start that way to remind all of us. Mm-hmm. And we've done it so long that sometimes you forget the, those things like that. We always say those words because we're so often so prone to forgetting that. Um, but we're always, we always begin each meal. We've always begun each meal saying those words. We're meeting around Christ tonight. He's here. We're meeting around him having dinner, asking the Holy Spirit to lead our conversation, to open our hearts and our minds, and we, we begin this meal with Christ. And that's where it goes. Okay. You so, know, Ken, uh, you know, one of the things I really, really love about this picture, and one of the reasons that I know that this must work as well as you're telling me it works, is that what I hear are the same dynamics that I, we see every week in a standard Samson meeting and a meeting after the meeting. Yeah. It's this sacred time together in the meeting and then it's amazing how many of the crucial points in men's individual lives and in the life of our fellowship have happened in the meeting after the meeting, after the meeting. in the laughter and uh, uh, just it's amazing where those con- those uh, conversations go. But I'm curious, uh, what happens between between the meetings we're meeting once a month do you see that those meetings then uh help uh a network of friendships to form yeah they have over the years um some of yeah it's like it's like even it's like samson groups one or two guys will connect up uh, Mm -hmm. and keep meeting 
so it's it's obviously not a it's not assumed or pressured. You guys need to hang out with each other and get to know each other. But there's some guys by their personalities do it. You know, yeah, guys who, guys who are a little more introverted may not at first, but mm-hmm. as they go around the table, they may take that step and call and have lunch with a guy or go out oh, to dinner good. with dinner with wives. It happens. Um, some of the guys we've only, I mean, some of the guys over the years you only see once a month mm-hmm. at dinner, and mm-hmm. and it is rich and deep, and it's just as if you've seen that person last week. Mm. So, um, our, our aim, our aim at the very beginning, Nate, was really we just wanted to go deeper as brothers around the table. Yeah, and meeting in early in the morning or at lunch, we had just reached a place where, and that's what an experience is. Most guys just get stale. Mm-hmm. Um, you, or you, or you meet for so long that you quit asking the real questions. Yeah. Uh, what's really going on? And, or I give that quick answer. Everything's going pretty good. Well, and, and no one asks after a while you read each other's body language, you're going, well, he doesn't want to be asking anything further. Um, we just, we sort of succumb to the comfortable, the lowest denominator rather than calling each other or really speaking to each other's hearts and, Mm-hmm. Maybe I maybe I don't want to confess anything, or I mean, it's just mm-hmm. yeah, it's this happens in a much more relaxed place, obviously around a table. Yeah. Um, so when you're answering those questions, does it? It's like, yeah. oh, this is their sharing portion of the meeting, or as dinner's happening, guys are just taking their own initiative. Yeah, one of us is usually saying so. For for instance, if we're having if we were having dinner, I might turn or somebody might turn. So Aaron, how's it going? Mm-hmm. And uh, and we're just we're just eating. Right. No we're more structured saying, than that. There's no, there's, we, um, other than what I've told you, we, we make very clear. We're clear with the guys, what you're invited to. Right, right, right. And what's going to happen for the evening. And we make sure look, if, um, uh, can you make a commitment to this? And then we're clear about that every time <laughs> because we're guys and here, are the two rules, what's said here stays here. Mm-hmm. And there's no fixing around this table. Even mm-hmm. saying that, 10 months into a 12 month time, you've got some guy that says, here's how we get around that. I'm not trying to fix. I'm just trying, I, I'm just trying to encourage you. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> or, or, you know, my wife and I just went to see so-and-so and it was really helpful. You might want to think about that. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's, but um, there's really no more structure than that. But um, I would say that the strength of this is this, the, the meals that, um, there's, for instance, uh, Bob Stack moved to New York City and was working up there for a number of years. And he started a, a res mill at Redeemer Presbyterian mm-hmm. with some guys there. And uh, he got a wingman, somebody that would join him at the table. Mm-hmm. And so I'd say one of the keys of that is just doing it by yourself is really difficult. Um, Bob and I had been walking together for a lot of years. And so he, he valued that. And he asked another guy, he shared with him what the what, what we did down here. And the guy said, well, let's do this. And so they invited, you know, six guys to join them like that. Eight's not a magic number. It's just what they wanted to do. And so it was the two of them. And that helps a lot. If it's you trying to carry the dinner by yourself, you're going to yeah. be worn out. And is there, so, is there a minimum and maximum number that you think is in, generally speaking the margins? Um, we've had as few as four and probably eight, I'm, I'm saying eight's probably the best number because uh, listening to seven other guys share, some are going to share yeah. along. Some are, you know, we started our dinner started at six or six thirty, and and they'll run. We've gone as late as eleven, but you know, really we're pretty 
most of us guys are probably there at 10 o'clock. We're kind of done with the listening. We're, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, um, but eight's probably, in, you know, for most people, having eight people at dinner table is probably a large table for most folks anyway. So we, yeah. um, six, six is easy. Um, there isn't a number. We've done them with 25 guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a, do you uh, still go? I mean, this started out. This is top drawer. This is special in quality. The quality yeah. of the meal is going to be an expression of how important we feel it is. Do you still do it that way? Yeah, we do. Um, so, now that means uh, now we've got a one of the one of the guys. I, I've started a resume here with the guys at the church, and and that's probably the and that's the hardest. Believe it or not, that's the hardest place to do a resume with the guys in your church because you're familiar, you're so familiar with each other and you're not used to asking those kind of questions or, or you've looked at somebody for three or four or five years or longer, but you've never ever had a conversation like this. What's he going to think of you? And so, um, we started one here and it took a number of months before it really, the guys really began to share. And we do like every guy we, and we've been meeting over a year. This group wanted to keep going. And we revert back to just surface areas mm-hmm. and, and it takes intention to say, uh, I, uh, you know, I appreciate knowing about your uncle, but what about you? <laughs> uh, uh, those kinds of things. But, um, six to eight has probably been the best number wise. Mm-hmm. And, and usually I'd say it's better to sit down and, and with another guy and say, what do you think? You want to, you want to do this together? Cause you really can't do it by yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, I know that from one of the guys that started the group. He he tried for the longest time to run these meals, and he was serving the dinner and and coming back. And as soon as he'd get up and leave the table, they would revert back to the to the sports page somewhere. Oh yeah, yeah. So um, the quality of the meal. I mean, like what I was going to say is one of the guys is a chef, and uh, actually his son works over in uh, your part of the world world nate uh, he works at i think it's a place called the farm or the farmhouse oh yeah sure yeah he's one of the uh, uh daniel scalisi so i'll keep uh, an ear out yeah he's um but his father chris cooks a lot of our me- does the meals here and, and we had we had exquisite uh chicken and burger sliders if you could mm. <laughs> i mean just the presentation of it it's the presentation really yeah, they have yeah, this yeah. nice table, and here are these sliders, and then we've had everything from lamb to veal to mm-hmm. uh, every beef product known to man. It's the preparation. So is it is it an op- option? I'm thinking of okay, somebody wants to do this, but they mm-hmm. suck at cooking and they don't know any chefs. Okay, so they invite six of their buddies and say, "I want to do this. I want to try it once." can everybody bring one thing that you've either made or is something you think is amazing and you love and you're going to bring that? Is that possible to do it that way or does that ruin something of your, your mojo is your thing. Only you would take my idea and ruin it after 10 years. It's a church potluck. All of a really? I, I mean, hated a church really, <laughs> really gosh. 10 years of seeing this thing happen and you kill it in one interview. Man, that is incredible. <laughs> why is it, why is it that it's most Aaron's e- inner Baptist is what it is. I, 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 
I'm, I, most of the infection that comes across this country starts in California. Now I see why. <laughs> um, it, it's a, we have guys that want to do that, Aaron, that say, what can I bring? Mm-hmm. And that's one of the, that's one of the, well, maybe that's one of the other little secrets of it. A guy comes to a table and he looks at a meal that's probably, for some guys, these meals are nicer than they'll ever maybe go out to dinner with or mm-hmm. share with their wives. And it's the most humbling thing to be given an exquisite gift. And all you can do is say, thank you. Oh. But if you like bring that. something, now you've contributed to it. Yeah. You've got, you know, you, you've got your, you know, what we like, we, you've got your skin in the game. But it's different when you have nothing to offer but yourself. Uh, that's and why, that's what it's, it's that's the beauty pastors, that's a great question it's why pastors have trouble actually being a part of the church and enjoying it huh Interesting. yeah yeah and we've you know we, uh yeah i mean you know i mean it's uh, we've probably had three or four pastors over the years at the table and it, it takes them a while to really just be them Okay, but still being practical because I'm a practical guy. Yes, you are. You still got the guy that wants to do this. He figures out how to, to bring this exquisite meal, but he can't pay for it once a month at the level you're talking about. What well, are the you options? Could, well, the option is you don't. It, the option is you don't have to spend a lot of money. The option really isn't about spending a lot of money. It's every. Every guy walks in, looks at a meal that's been prepared for them, and it's, and it's presented around the table, and it's a gift to them. Mm-hmm. And like I'm saying, you sit down around a table for a meal that's been presented to you, and, and all, you were do, all you were asked was to bring yourself, and mm-hmm. you start with communion. And the mystery of what the Holy Spirit does with that, at that moment is what makes him the Holy Spirit. <laughs> um, oh, he, wow. he changes the table. He changes the table because suddenly everybody's at the same place. The only thing you're bringing to the table is yourself. Yeah. It never changes that element. And every time, every, every time you go to the potluck, the everybody brings something mode. There's just a casualness that comes to it that changes it. And and, um, not everybody, you're right. Not everybody has a chef and he doesn't make all our meals. Um, uh, he makes some of them, but he needs to receive too. Right. And he, and he, and he receives every meal with great thankfulness. He appreciates it. He, it's not like he looked at the meal going, oh, I could have done this 10 times better. Uh, he just doesn't have that kind of spirit. Again, sitting down around the table, reminding people, you just bring who you are and you start with communion. And yeah, for, um, you're right. Yeah. Your, your point earlier point, I don't want to step over that. A guy goes, I can't afford this every month. Well, well, maybe two of you say, well, uh, I'll do this with you. I'll do, th- I'll do this with you for the year. I mean, it's a serious intent because you're saying, I'm going to invest in a group of guys for a year. Right. And it really is. You're investing in a group of guys for a year. Mm-hmm. And you're probably going to have to talk about it with your wife and say, look, honey, these meals are going to run X amount of dollars. Um, um, and it's, it, again, it's not... It, so that you're not creating some hardship on her or she feels like, wow, you're going all out for these guys, but you don't do anything for me. And sometimes that starts a conversation like that. And sometimes a guy realizes around those tables, I need to live my life with my wife this way. 
Mm -hmm. I need to treat her this way rather than just getting into the habits and routines we get into. Um, wow. Good questions. I mean, that, uh, those are great questions. The, the real gift is for guys coming to, they can't bring anything but themselves. Yeah. I love that. It's, that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful reason. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, and, uh, yep. on another, uh, on another topic here, uh, well, I don't know. I don't want to step all over you. Where were you going there, Aaron? Did you have? Oh, a, I was. I was saying if you had any final things you want to talk about. Well, yes, I do. I do because I love Greensboro. It's a great town. There are some wonderful people there. It mean a lot to me, and I know that uh, Ken knows most of them. Uh, Scott Vosberg, what a great guy, and yeah. uh, Charlie and Ruth Jones doing their PB and J Cafe down there downtown, and. Uh, Gary Sibley, Daniel from back in the day. Yeah. And, uh, but what I'm most interested in is Fred and Ethel. What can you tell us about Fred and Ethel? <laughs> <laughs> Fred is a, uh, uh, looks like he's in his young twenties as a, as a uh, black vulture. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, He's in uh, Fred and Ethel. Now, what are you asking about Fred and Ethel? Because I, I, <laughs> I'm wondering, I mean, it struck me ever since you told that story. So fill our listeners in. Who are Fred and Ethel? And um, are you being brought to some sort of an existential crisis? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just... <laughs> You know, I, I, we didn't take communion before we started this interview. We don't have a meal in front of us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, uh, Fred and Ethel are uh, two black vultures that are perched on top of our church, Grove Community Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. They have... They have chosen our sacred ground to be their mating ground during this season of their life. And uh, they, they, they not only sit on top of the roof, they are actually probably at the side door right now, pe pecking on the glass. Um, and uh, it is not lost on me uh, or my wife, Carolyn, who's, whom I lovingly call the quadrinity, the fourth person of the Trinity in my life. Uh, the, the quadrinity was the first to point it out that God was, had a message for us uh, um, about our church. And I, I mean, all joking aside, I, I'm looking at vultures and vultures. They're out there picking on, you know, the cadavers, the squirrels and the rabbits and chipmunks. Mm -hmm. And they're, um, and they're having so am sex I, on the roof. Populating query. Come on, I know what's happening here. They're having sex on the roof. So I'm wondering, I was wondering why we had a leak in the roof. Their claws have torn through the shingles there. Right? Uh, um, yeah, I think if, you, if you're asking me seriously, I, um, anybody that knows me would go, yeah, I would be looking at those vultures saying, God, what are you saying? Because I look at those vultures every day and go, are you telling us that we're not, we're not alive? Are we dying? Mm -hmm. are, uh, you know, are we, are, are you trying to show me something? Yeah. Um, I was reminded this morning meeting with the, 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 the brother that started our group in 1979, we were having breakfast. He's moved back to Greensboro and we're having breakfast and he passed me a little copy of um, Andrew Murray's book on absolute surrender. 
Mm. And he didn't know he was handing me a cup of cold water. Yeah. I had, you know, that's a book that's been on my shelf for years, but when you get it from a friend or a brother, you, you kind of go, Oh, hey, the Lord wants me to build my attention here. Um, so yeah, Fred and Ethel, um, uh, I bet they would taste good. Filleted, marinated <laughs> for hours. <laughs> nice. I'm you at the next resume. Next resume. <laughs> that's right. Uh, sir, tastes like chicken, I understand. <laughs> um, but it is kind of funny. I mean, we, we joking. I, I told the church one Sunday, I said, if you drove up and saw Fred Nethel on the roof, yes, they are black vultures. And, um, I'm not sure if God's trying to get our attention, mm-hmm. but, uh, and I, and I said, but it really looks strange to see two vultures sitting on top of your church <laughs> with all, with, with all that they mean. Yeah. The metaphor is not lost on me. Yeah. Well, yeah. Ken, how would you, what would the last message you want to give to the listeners that think maybe I want to give this res meal a shot, give them, give them one final word to send them out. If you're longing, to, if you're longing to experience fellowship with Christ, and yeah, just like uh, the, a meal with Jesus, as Tim Chester's book says, um, consider praying about asking another man. Uh, talk to him about the the idea of having a meal where you invited four, six guys to come sit at a table, and to do so for a period of time, six months or a year and being willing to do nothing but bring themselves and share where they are with Jesus that night and begin the meal with communion, asking the Holy Spirit to just literally to ask the Holy Spirit to take over and know that there's going to be conversations around the table that could, that could be both surface and can be some, some of the most revealing conversations you'll ever hear in your life. And, you have the moment to be a gift to another man's heart to listen to him, to not fix, to not come up with solutions, to not, to not email afterwards with uh, check this, check this source or this hell, but just to listen. And you'll be amazed at how you begin to pray for another man mm-hmm. uh, and not fixing. And that's the hardest thing for us, for us guys is to, to not fix a problem. Mm-hmm. And we often, we often won't even share sometimes because we're so afraid somebody's first answer is they're going to try to fix me. I just want to be heard. Yeah. And that's one of the, that's one of the most incredible things you experience with Jesus. He listens to you. He hears you. It's one of the things that draws you. He knows everything about you. He knows the brokenness thing. You know, it says in Colossians one in, in the message, it says that so spacious is he and so roomy that everything of God, gets properly fixed and fit together in him. Mm. That's, that's what you dis- that's what we discovered around this table, the, the spaciousness of Jesus. There's room, there's room in Jesus for my life. Yes. And around that table, you experience that with a few other brothers and you don't have to know each other, especially well coming into it. Mm. You just lay the foundation for what you're going to be meeting. We're meeting around this table. What's said here stays here. You cannot fix another brother. And we start the meal with communion and we go from there. We have, and while we're eating, and, uh, we're, we're just talking and sharing about our lives. 
This is so beautiful. And I just hope that Samson guys around the country uh, hear what Ken is saying and take up the invitation and um, have a meal with Jesus. Boy, that's fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, Ken Chester, and we will be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk podcast. Uh, that was, I thought that was going to be a fun conversation, but it was better than I thought. Mm. I forgot how much I love the, when the pastor Ken comes out, he has such a nurturing pastor yeah. vibe, doesn't he? Yeah, he really, really does. Really I does. love it. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's just kind of soul massage. Certain people <laughs> have that. <laughs> yeah. And it's great to spend time with somebody whose DNA matches are so closely. Uh, you know, I think he, he recognized from the first time that he kind of caught a whiff of the Samson Society, that this kind of relational thing, this authenticity thing, huh. that was where he is. And he and he's brought a lot uh, to the Samson Society. So great talking with Ken. And thanks for uh, reconnecting. Of course, you've stayed pretty well connected with Ken over the years. Yeah, we, we, the last few years, we don't chat as much as we did. But uh, yeah, he was my he was my Silas, my secret Silas for a while. <laughs> uh, back when I wanted a Silas that I didn't know who they were, where they were from or what they did. Yeah. Uh, and that was in case people felt like he was picking on me overly harshly. That's because yeah. he was my Silas. Uh, wow. He, when we were, <laughs> when we were in the smoky mountains with him and Scott Dente, Scott and he and I were sitting around the fire and Scott didn't know he was my Silas. And that was yeah. the first time we met in person uh-huh. and Ken went inside for something. And I said, man, Scott, this is, this is weird. I've never, I've talked to this guy now for over a year and I've never met him. He's like, oh, he's your Silas? Man, I just thought he was really being a dick to you, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, he just feels comfortable. Oh. So I thought that was the funniest thing ever. But possibly people got that same vibe and went, maybe he's being mean to Aaron. It's because no. he loves me. He does. <laughs> Well, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we Our mailbag is empty, so we need your thoughts, your questions. Go to Facebook, type a, with a thingy on there, whatever those are. A comment. <laughs> Stop a comment. using that technical language. <laughs> or uh, write us at piratemonkpodcast. At gmail.com. At gmail.com, and we'd love to hear from you. All right. Well, I think that's about it. Until next week, I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. And we are your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Arrgh.